Chapter 8. Teamwork. Create immediate safety. As a leader, you are constantly in service to customers, investors, the managers above you, and the employees below you. The person who hired you did so because they trusted you to make the right decisions. But here's a key distinction. Your job is to make decisions, not to dictate decisions. There is a big difference. First, let's give this some context. You want the best ideas and the best performance from your teams, right? What's the number one way to achieve that? Safety. Yes, safety. The number one factor driving innovation is safety. One of the best case studies for this is in The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, which tells the story of the turnaround at Alcoa, one of the largest aluminum products companies in the world. In 1987, profits were falling and competitors were closing in, and shareholders wanted answers from their new CEO, Paul O'Neill. They waited to hear what the new sales strategy or reorganization plan he had concocted, but he only issued one directive. I want to talk to you about work safety. Every year, numerous Alcoa workers are injured so badly that they miss a day of work. Our safety record is better than the general American workforce, especially considering that our employees work with metals that are 1,500 degrees and machines that can rip a man's arm off. But it's not good enough. I intend to make Alcoa the safest company in America. I intend to go for zero injuries. Shareholders were shocked. They thought the board had put a crazy hippie in charge. One ran to make a call telling all his clients to sell their shares. That shareholder later said, it was literally the worst piece of advice I gave in my entire career. Within one year, Alcoa set record profits, and by the time O'Neill left, net earnings had increased by 500%. Not only that, workers voluntarily painted a mural of the man because they were so proud. Now, you may not have a business where people can get killed, but you are killing people's ideas constantly by making them feel unsafe in very subtle ways. And no one will tell you this because they're either afraid of losing their job or they don't realize it's because it's that subtle. You see, as a manager, you have the final say. So why use it when you don't have to? If you use your final say too early, what you get is compliance. You get people who will do what you say because they have to. But you win hearts and minds through influence. And if that doesn't work, you can always revert back to power if you need it. So you have no reason to feel afraid. You are safe. Now here is how your people can feel safe too. Whenever you have a new initiative, or whenever you are speaking with someone, and you want to see a change in his or her behavior or performance, do not dictate what will happen. Again, you have the last say, and you can always demand what you want at the end of it if you must. Instead, Try starting with an open-ended question based on where you're already aligned. So for example, let's say you are both agreed that it is important that the company improve the customer experience and you have a great idea to do it. But if you start with your idea, someone may think you've already made up your mind and at best, they'll feel resigned. At worst, they will believe it's an awful decision but become afraid to voice their opinion. But if you instead start with an opening question, you will hear their best ideas, and then you can decide where to go from there. Even if you don't use their ideas, they will feel heard and thus more invested in your final decision. 
Lastly, the best thing you can do is to be totally calm, cool, and collected. If you send the signal that there is a reason to worry, then everyone will be right there, stressed and worried with you. Breakthrough Obstacles This is one of the most important steps in the entire process, and it can be done at any time. Whenever you need to build alignment, clear out group frustrations, merge teams, or rebuild morale, this will work. It even works if you don't know the team or don't know the subject matter. You could walk into a group of nuclear physicists and run this same exercise. It's been done for groups at Google and GM in its turnaround, and now it's yours. It's called Obstacle Breakthrough, and it's the quickest way to alignment. It can take as little as three hours. You can set the time constraint. Ideally, the space of a half day works best. If the group is 20 people or less, you can do it all together. If it's more than 20 people, you will either need to separate into smaller groups or get them into triads. Triads are groups of three where one person speaks, another asks questions, and the third simply holds the space by observing and looking for what is emerging that the other two may not be seeing. Ideally, you want to have a facilitator conduct or oversee these exercises. Having an authority figure in a facilitation role can often feel loaded to the group, although it's certainly better than no one, so don't let that stop you. 1. Create a safe environment. 10 minutes. Safety is highly underestimated in the workplace. We usually think about safety only when it comes to mechanical processes or perhaps harassment, but safety is constantly an issue without anyone ever realizing it. When managers get frustrated because they empower their people and those people don't take risks, it is because the employee does not believe she or he is safe to do so. Therefore, the safety of the environment must be both stated and demonstrated to be believed. So whoever's the authority in the room, authority defined as a person who has hiring and firing decision-making power, should say these words. During all of this, I want you, the participants, to say everything, even things you think I don't want to hear. The authority should repeat this so they know you're serious. And if that's not you, tell your boss to say this. Optional. Ask the question, what does open and honest conversation look like? At this point, you're asking everyone to define the rules of engagement. It may seem obvious, but you'll be addressing ground rule questions, such as, how will we make sure everyone has a voice? Is it okay to yell? What does respect look like? How will we know we're getting to the real stuff? Optional. Clear the energy of the room by asking people to take a few deep breaths. 2. Where are we out of alignment? This is for as long as it takes, or, if time is constrained, limit to 30 minutes. The question can be asked in several ways. Use any or all. What is frustrating to you right now? Where are we saying one thing but doing something else? Who are we disappointing and how? Where are we failing our own expectations? Before they answer, let them know that you will be talking about solutions, but at this point, you don't want them to bring up solutions or alternatives. This session is the equivalent of throwing up when you're sick or drunk. Yes, it feels awful, but you'll feel fantastic when it's over. If it's done in a group, make sure to write the answers, as summarized lines, on a whiteboard or piece of paper. The purpose of this goes beyond tracking. It also serves as a visual reminder for what has been discussed. Without this reminder, people will often make the same points over and over again ad nauseum. 
but with the board, everyone realizes that it's covered. Sometimes a group will be shy and will either not speak up or use very sparse and safe language. This usually means you're not getting the real deal or signals the deeper problem that you do not have a very passionate and invested group. It's best in this case to encourage them with words such as, come on, what else? Get more negative. Really, tell it like it is. While managers are tempted to rush through this for fear of a negative mob arising, at the end they're quite grateful because it reveals what they never knew before. The information is priceless because however hard it is to hear, it's real and it reflects what's going on every day beneath the surface. After this, have everyone stand up and shake it off. This energetically shifts the energy of the room away from the pent-up frustration. Three, group share, 10 minutes. If the group was in triads, bring them back together. Have everyone share what they realized through the exercise. The point is not to regurgitate information. The point is to have them reflect on the process itself. How did it feel? Was there new information? Then ask, what trends do we see? And write down those trends. This will help to bottom line what the main issues are within the group. Four, what's working? 20 minutes. Rather than go straight from problem to solution, this is a key in-between step. Here we are going to focus on what is actually working well. In business, we are so focused on the horizon of the ocean, which by definition we can never achieve, and it's very easy for even the best companies in the world to forget how far they've come. Now is the time to acknowledge the positives and make sure to use the paper or whiteboard again. What's going well? Where are we kicking ass? What do we have to be grateful for? When have we run into problems before and shine through? If the group has done this before or often, ask that they add something new. What you are doing works on many levels. For one, it changes the whole vibe to that of pride. Second, the list you are writing becomes a list of assets that you have to approach any new challenge that will come out of the next section. If the groups are in triads, bring them together again for a group share. It's best to continually shake up the room physically after each of these exercises, ideally in a way that gets them into connection with each other while also expanding their comfort zones. You can experiment with having people give each other a quick back rub or a high five, dance to music, or any combination of these. Five, optional. Individual appreciation. If you really want to get a team in sync, then this exercise is priceless. Through the what's working exercise, you've established a strong baseline for the group as a whole, but the individuals may still be in doubt. It's impossible for people to create a stabilized team culture if they are doubting their own individual contribution. At that point, the culture can be undermined by individual insecurities. These can be eliminated in this stage so that people put those worries aside. Start by having one person stand in front of all the others. Set a timer for a few minutes and then open it up for everyone to say what he or she admires and respects about the person. Don't call on people. Let them just speak out. What do you love about this person? Or what would you miss about them if they left? If you've created a safe space and you're leading by example, this can be a very emotional exercise in which people see their value and their talents in new ways. They feel appreciated and recognized. As I've said many times earlier, to the most overlooked needs of any employee. Six, what is possible? 30 minutes. Now the culture in the room 
is at an all-time healthy level. We've cleared out all negative underlying emotions. Remember the analogy to throwing up. We've recognized what we're doing well as a group, and we've appreciated each person for their individual contributions. Now is the time to ask the killer questions. What next? Where can we go from here? What's possible? What do we want to create? If you really want to shift the energy, have people stand up as they talk to each other. It puts them in an active state of mind. Gather all the ideas, write them up, and again, go through and see what themes the group finds. What are the big realizations? What are the insights? Are there gaping holes we missed? Seven, leverage into action. 20 minutes. Everyone is feeling great at this point. Everyone is on a high. But the danger is it stops here. They go back to their desks. They get lost in a world of email and their routine to-do list. And think about that one day they had a lot of fun and we should really do that again sometime. Maybe in six months when we're all pissed off again? No. We're going to make sure that doesn't happen. This is the part where we lock in all the learning and put it into action. Look at the possibilities on the wall and ask the group to determine how specific they are. If they are already specific, then great. If not, then ask questions like, what would this look like in action? Or how can we actually do this? Also, ask what new habits or rituals would help. And make sure to note and ask for the low-hanging fruit. What could we do immediately that would be a big improvement? As a facilitator, notice who has energy for what. Energy and passion are what you're going to leverage. As you go down each idea, ask who has a passion for it. Ask who would be excited to work on it. And notice if a person with passion does not raise their hand. You may actually want to put him or her on the spot and ask if there's a reason. They might say, I have too much on my plate, or I don't think I have the skills to do it. It'll be interesting for you to hear the limitations. Address them one-on-one after the meeting if you would like to still encourage that person. For each project, ask the passionate people what actions would need to be taken to get it off the ground. Note, you may want to read the section on the beta blueprint before you do this. Because if actions are too broad or too big, there's a lot at risk. Then ask if they will commit to these actions and by when. Note that they are doing this in front of their peers. It's easy to slip on a task that no one knows about, but when our reputations are on the line with our peers, it's another story. Make sure to set the next meeting on the calendar for when you will reconvene and reflect on your progress. Solve problems. Managers say it all the time. Don't bring me problems. Bring me solutions. However, many people simply don't know how to do this. They don't know how to constructively think about a problem and how to offer the solution in a way that a manager simply has to say yes. Here is a framework that you can teach. Note, this should only be used if the employee is clear on the solution he or she wants. If they don't know, this is another type of conversation, and they need to make that clear before coming to you. 1. Identify a problem. We're having trouble finding volunteers for tours. Even though we've limited the number of tours, there are still big groups, so we need more guides. It's challenging to find volunteers. 2. Articulate the cost of the problem. Because I'm spending a lot of time going back and forth on scheduling volunteers and dealing with cancellations, I don't have the time to quickly get to customer calls. 3. Offer a solution. Our solution with the help desk is working very well, and I would like to use it in other departments. 
The help desk has a calendar of who is available on which days. I would like to propose that we do a similar calendar with our other teams. Four, outline potential objections and address them. I realize that these other teams may be very busy. Their managers may not be interested in making this plan work, but right now they have to do their own vendor tours. We can offer to cover their vendor tours if they give volunteer tour guides for us when we're overloaded. Five, propose the next step. Our next step is to talk to a manager in each department about this idea and get feedback. If they have no objections, I can start up the program. I'd like to write up a one sheet, run it by you, and schedule a meeting with their team. Is it okay if I do that? Manager says, yes. Imagine if every problem was dealt with in this fashion. It can happen, but people have to know the format. Resolve conflicts. Don't get into the police game. At the most basic level, there are at least three versions of any story. His side, her side, and the truth. And it's very tempting to go on an investigation, but sorting all this out will simply drive you crazy. Besides, it does not teach people how to resolve their differences if they always have a parent to turn to. There is one simple answer to this. Don't let people talk to you about others unless they have gone directly to that person first and said everything to their face that they're telling you. Also, you may consider bringing in others rather than hearing it alone. If people know that they will have to face a committee, meaning potential shame and embarrassment, they are much more likely to solve it on their own. Morningstar and its self-management institute was on the cover of the Harvard Business Review for creating a culture of 800 people with no managers. They developed a simple escalation tool. The first level indicates that people must work it out on their own. A person cannot go to someone else first, no matter what the problem. It starts as a request, and that request may even be, I would like you to leave the company. If they cannot resolve it, they call in a witness to help add perspective. The witness does not judge, though. If the two still cannot come to an agreement, they go before a committee of people. Most problems stop here. Actually, most never even come to this level because it would become highly embarrassing to have so many peers hear all the details. Thus, the committee requirement itself acts as a natural deterrent to the conflicts actually getting to this level. Very rarely does it ever go past level three, and if so, the CEO would decide. The Conflict Resolution Meeting Every company deals with conflict. It doesn't matter how well employees seem to get along on the surface. What's even more interesting is that most conflicts start as very mild annoyances, but people keep score. To read how this can lead to disasters, see Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Here's a technique you can teach your teams to use in conversation whenever a conflict comes up, following these steps. 1. Ask permission. Do not simply go into the conversation. Be respectful by asking if they have a moment for a private conversation or request a time to meet. Two, center yourself. Before the conversation, take a one-minute moment just to be silent and center, rather than launching right into it. Then state your higher purpose for the conversation by citing a core value or simply a reason such as better relationships. Three, get the facts. This is a highly crucial step. Most people argue without even being in agreement on what the argument is truly about. So first, confirm the facts. Now this will be tough at first, 
Everyone will slip into interpretations or feelings. But you want to limit this to only A, what you said, B, what they said, C, any actions that happened in actual space and time that can be observed and everyone can agree to. Make sure to limit all interpretations and feelings until the next stage. 4. Discuss feelings. Everything should start with I feel or I felt. Otherwise, it becomes about judgments and our own interpretations. For example, some people might be okay with my being quick and curt. Others might feel unheard if I talk that way. No one can tell you that you are wrong for feeling a certain way. But if you call someone disrespectful due to your personal expectations, then it limits the process of finding ways to work together. Note, if more facts come up, you need to go back to step three. Each person should state how he or she feels. If you don't feel that the other person really hears you, ask them to repeat your words back until you feel they truly understand you. 5. State what was missing. Now that you've stated your feelings, state what was missing for you. For example, I wanted you to give me feedback at that moment. That would have made me feel respected in that situation. 6. Request. Ask for a request. For example, whenever I give you an idea, I would like you to give me feedback or tell me why it won't work. The person who is being asked has a choice of responses. A. Yes. B. No. C. Propose a counteroffer. If there is a disagreement about the requests, connect back with your commitments and think about what can be done to really make them happen. 7. Closing. Make sure to acknowledge each other for actually showing up, taking the time to create a positive team. Delegate. All of the best leaders delegate, and they tend to be very relaxed because they've taken anything off of their plates that is not their core competency and passion. But remember, delegation is not dumping. You can't simply hand off your to-do list. Here is a very simple guide to delegating. One. Always say the why. Simply giving the task is treating people like robots. Tell them why. Give them context. Why should they care? That reason may also serve as a North Star for their decisions as the task changes and progresses. 2. Give them a chance to say no. Do not simply give a task. Ask if they will do it and make it clear to your team that they can say no if A. They have other priorities that you both agree are more important, or B, they need to ask questions to gain clarity. 3. Be clear on your criteria. What makes for a successful completion? How will you be judging this? 4. Tell how much follow-up and feedback you'd like. Do you want them to simply do it, and you don't need to hear about it again? Do you want them to check in every week? Where do you want to add your own opinion and direction? through the course of the project. Finally, five. Recognize publicly. When the task is complete, give proper credit by announcing it to the team or the company. The best team building activity. The most effective form of team building I have seen is improv comedy. Yes, it's the most fun, highly engaged way to collaborate. That's because it's built on these powerful principles. One, being fully present rather than distracted. People are most engaged when they're present, and anything but full presence in improv will not work. 
the excitement that comes as a result is amazing because no one knows what will happen. Even if you're not in the scene, you're still watching and fully engaged. Two, affirming and loving reality rather than going against it. The yes and concept means you have to go with whatever someone has brought into the scene. You find a way to work with it. Three, full commitment over judgment. Scenes feel awful when players judge them, but when they fully commit, that's when the humor and fun comes out. People who go halfway end up being awkward, whereas those who fully commit gives everyone permission to play. Four, make your partners look good over your own accomplishments. In improv, you're constantly looking to help the other players. You give them the best lines and scenarios. With everyone looking after each other, that's when everyone experiences the magic. And when people experience it, you don't have to sell it to anyone. Five, listen so that you're open to change, rather than planning in a vacuum. In improv, you must listen to what comes next, because if you don't, you lose the whole momentum of the scene. Thus, truly listening to every player is key to keep it fun and lively. You can't tell people to do and think these things, but improv is a game that makes service, engagement, and collaboration fun. And when it's fun, people do it naturally on their own. If you'd like to know more about how to use improv at your company or team, see www.cultureblueprint.com. Share the finances. Information is key to appreciation. Sharing your finances internally, even if it's just at a high level, will show your whole team how money gets used. And usually they are surprised with everything it takes to run a business. Anyone who is thinking of venturing off to start their own business will surely think twice when shown the hard facts of what it takes to stay up and running. Seeing these kinds of numbers also builds respect for the often underappreciated finance and operations teams that make it happen. It's also much easier to get employees to think in terms of cost savings when they realize how many dollars have to be earned in order to justify any spend. So for example, if you want to maintain an operating profit margin of 10%, then a $100 purchase for the company would require selling $1,000 worth of product. It truly makes people think. Good luck. Now you have the insight, the plan, and the tools. If you run into problems, and who doesn't, next is the troubleshooting section, which will help you easily steer your way around them. If you need help, you can visit www.robertrichman.com and let me know how I can help you. I would love to hear your feedback, your stories, and your tools for the 2.0 version of the book. So please visit cultureblueprint.com and tell me about your journey.